He is one of the most acknowledged industry leaders who has done what many says is impossible, to drive growth with sustainable mindset. And it all started in Scotland. John Stone, welcome to this podcast. Glad to be here. Thank you. Um, your career is a fascinating story. Uh, you started as a 22-year-old man at SKF in Scotland packing bearings. Is that correct? That's correct. I was a graduate trainee picking and packing bearings and delivering them to customers, yes. But did it ever cross your mind that you one day could be the CEO of the SKF group? Of course, it was my clear objective. No, no, to be serious. No, it was not not clear. I never thought that. I just uh, took advantage of the opportunities that came along with an SKF. And then it was never even in my mind the wildest dreams at that time. What made you remain in the company? It's a fantastic company, SKF. It's, uh, it operates in 40 different industries. It's got five technology areas. It's in 130 countries. I mean, you have the opportunity to, to take part in like six or seven companies within the one company with the same value chain. So to me, it's, uh, it's a fantastic company. And, and I took advantage of this to work in different businesses in different areas. Did you uh, uh, think sometimes about anything that you regretted when you see your uh, time at SKF uh, in a retro pers perspective? No, I don't regret what I did in SKF. I really actually could have done some things better, of course, absolutely, all the time you look back at that. But I don't regret the choices I made and the, and the areas I moved into and, and what I did, not, not at all. What made you come up with the strategy Beyond Zero and why? Well, Beyond Zero was something that um, was to address the environmental challenge, CO2 emission challenge, etc. And, and actually, I attended a seminar at Chalmers uh, with a professor called Christian Azar, and I identified where we were going there. And although SKF was already working on reducing CO2 emissions, it was clear we had to do something different. So then uh, when I went back to the office, we chatted with some people, a small team went to work on it and came up with the strategy of Beyond Zero, which basically means we should reduce our CO2 emissions on one side at the same time we should develop products and services that help our customers reduce their CO2 emissions and our customers should save more CO2 emissions than we emit doing our business which means that we have a positive impact from doing the business. Did you have a or do you have a timeline still at SKF? You, have you reached a goal or what are the... We were well on our way to, to, to reaching the goal. We set targets for the sales uh, that we should achieve etc. So we were on our way. We were definitely doing tracking very well and reducing our CO2 emissions. Then we put in place targets to 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 get our sales up to 10 billion sec in environment, um, in, in what we considered environmentally friendly products. And what was important for us was to get that approved by the strategy by the World Wildlife Fund so that it wasn't just us greenwashing. We had actually some verification behind it. Mm. And how did uh, the suppliers react? Because you have to dig in their business as well. It's important. It's important for us to be responsible for the value chain there. So absolutely, we uh, spent a lot of time working with our suppliers. Uh, we wanted our main suppliers to identify what they were doing in this aspect to reduce their CO two emissions as well. And uh, and I think uh, they they saw it as a positive development. With some of them, a little bit uh, took a little bit of persuading, of course. But that's that's normal because that was not a normal way of reporting for them. Not a normal thing. Some were more advanced than others. Uh, so, uh, but we pushed it through. 
to. It was an important part of doing business with us. I presume that you bring this knowledge and experience about Beyond Zero uh, strategy in SKF in uh, the other boards that you are attending now? Absolutely. Absolutely. What are the reactions? You sit in the Volvo board, and, mm. and could you please name others? Uh, Volvo, Husqvarna, Wetzeler, etc. I mean, no, Volvo is quite uh, advanced in that. They have their uh, sustainability strategy called Omtenke, uh, and, and that's quite advanced in that. Uh, Husqvarna just recently announced the new sustainability objectives and, and what they want to achieve, achieve in reducing CO2 emissions, etc. So, yes, you bring them in to these companies, you have that dialogue, but it's not what you cannot do and what you should not do is come in and say, this is how I did it, this is how you should do it. It's a case of saying, this is how I did it, now what should we do in this company? How should we address the similar issues? Because it has to be a Husqvarna way of doing it and it has to be Kai and his team, who Kai's the CEO and his team, that come up with the ideas and we as a board present them. What you do is you bring your experience and knowledge in as a sounding board to them to make sure we don't miss things. Mm. But don't you think it's time to companies to actually change their business model or how they talk about growth. We maybe all should change our uh, perception of, of growth, considering the challenges we have with climate change and uh, diversities and, and, and all that that bring other tools and other values to a company or to a society. Why, why shouldn't we just drop the economic theories that we have today and change it all, the whole thing? I think, you, why do you need to drop them? Why not integrate them within? I think the important thing with diversity, with sustainability, etc., is that should not be something you do at the side. It should become an integral part of how you run the company, integral part of your strategy. So from my side, it's not an either or, it's an and that you do. And if you do it right, you will achieve growth. And we must realise that on a global basis, there are many parts of the world that still have to develop uh, economically, still have to develop uh, socially. Uh, there, So they need growth in order to be able to do that. The important thing though is we do it in a much better way there than we did it when we were developing, i.e. we're more environmentally friendly in the products and what we do uh, in these markets. Because if we just repeat what we've done as well and go through the same way of, of, of how we've emitted emissions, then it won't work. Mm. It won't work. Do you think it's possible to reach a lot of goals? I mean, uh, that are um, uh, being discussed now from the UN. There are 17 global sustainable goals, etc. Is it possible, or do you think we are quite naive? I think uh, uh, the only way you're going to reach goals like this is for us to be very much aligned in countries and in companies and take the responsibility to achieve it. Is it possible to reach each and every one of them? I cannot look at it one there but is it possible to make significant progress absolutely and I think but but we need to be aligned and we need to ensure that we all operate under the same framework um, for example what I mean by that is if you take there's many discussions just now in trade or in trade barriers and different things trade barriers you can put up but climate you cannot put barriers up to if you do something in one country it has an impact in another country there's no way of putting barriers up to stop people coming in, stop goods coming in, that you can do. You can't stop climate change yet. So climate is a global issue. It's something we all have to tackle together. It's not something that you can tackle and go into an isolationist mode. But, but, but you've got to do it in the same way worldwide because you've got to be on the same playing field. If you're not in the same playing field, then you have a problem. Who drives this the most or who should drive it? Is it the industry or the politicians or the consumers? I mean, who has the power to make a great effect? I mean, the ultimate power to make the real effect would be consumers. 
But unfortunately, consumers uh, don't have that same drive from a climate viewpoint. Therefore, it has to be politicians and uh, and companies that work together to be able to do it. Politicians doing it in their own and in, in, in using a, a stick as a method to do it is not enough. We need to use a carrot and the stick. And secondly, we need companies to own this and, and, and drive it forward. So it needs to be an alliance between the two. As I say, consumers should be the best. I mean, at the end of the day, if consumers don't buy your product because you don't make it environmentally friendly, then uh, you'll go out to business. So they should have the power. But to be quite honest, many consumers don't drive it that way. I, I remember chatting to some friends just recently and talking about CO2 emissions on vehicles there. And, and there's a lot of people are still not there. They're still not even thinking about that when they buy a vehicle. Yes, now with the diesel scandal, there is a lot of more focus on people saying, ah, should we buy diesel or not? But uh, the re the, the, they're not looking and saying one of my buying criteria should be the minimum environmental impact on that. Not everyone's doing that yet, and that we need to get to. Mm. And still, the great challenge probably is that it's much more expensive to buy uh, ecological food and and cars that are not uh, leaving so much carbon emission, etc. Things are more expensive to... to uh, to be more conscientious about what happens in the world. Some are and some are not. Some are and some are not. I mean, if you take, for example, some of the energy-efficient bearings that we did in SKF, they reduced energy consumption by up to 30%, which means that that actually for a, they may be more expensive to buy, but in the running cost, they're much, much cheaper within that. And the same within a car. It may be more expensive to buy the car to the initial investment, but if you look at the cost, total cost of ownership, it may not be that way. And I think that's one of the changes we need to make more relevant to people. If you buy a more environmentally friendly washing machine, you use electricity, less electricity, less water for doing it. We're not good at presenting uh, the arguments in, in a good way. When we when we launched the Beyond Zero in, in, in SKF, we actually did something in a number of the companies where we had a bike, a bicycle. You had to ride that bike to jet to make the three lights light up on the top of it there. And then we you did it in different modes, the normal mode and then the, the energy efficient mode there. And, and that was a way for people to understand the difference in energy you needed to put in to light the bulbs there, if you did it this way or that way. You, you've got to find simpler ways to get that across to people that they understand. It's not just about the piece price you buy, it's about your total cost of ownership and the environmental impact. And we're not good at that. You have reached a lot of acknowledgements Uh, because you're such a good leader. Huh. Uh, uh, where did you get your inspiration from? Uh, it's a difficult uh, thing to say. I, I looked at one or two leaders and got that. Of course, you get different views from 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 people. You get it from your upbringing, etc. But I never really studied one specific leader and say that that was right. I, I I actually worked on a philosophy, you know, to to do unto others what you know what you like done to yourself there. And I think that philosophy to me was was an important bit of guiding me in how I did. Uh, things there. I, I think what's very important in leadership is not just what you do and why you do it, because what you do and why you do things, and you know what we do, we're going to invest in China, and why we're doing that because it's a big market. We've got to be present there. People understand that. That engages people's brains. How you do it engages their heart. If you do it in the right way, you engage their heart. And I believe strongly that if you can engage brains and hearts of people, then you have them with you, mm. and, and you give them a purpose. You give them a belief. Uh, there. And one of the other things you must do as an, in, an individual, as a leader, is create energy in an organisation. You should not be, you should not drain energy. How many meetings do you go to uh, that, that afterwards you come out and you go, Phew. 
Yeah, that was tough. You should go, I always worked on, if I could create one or two percent more energy in an organisation after a meeting I'd been there uh, with, with a clear purpose of me put one or two percent more energy, and in a group like SKF, that was an extra thousand people. That's a lot of resource for nothing, for zero, no investment. It's just investment of time and that. So, so if you can do that, I think uh, um, uh, that helps you be a better leader. And to me, it was not something I learned. It was something I grew and developed. And you pick a little bit from different people. You were a Scot living in Gothenburg for many years now. What kind of Scottish culture did you bring to these these meeting ceremonies? <laughs> oh, to, 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 I wouldn't say a lot to the to meeting ceremonies. I did, uh, when I was CEO of SKF, we used to run an annual uh, Robert Burns evening in January there for, for leading business people uh, here as a means to bring the Scottish culture here uh, with it. But uh, um, we kept a lot of Scottish cultures in the family. I think it's interesting. I think that the Scots and the Swedes are very similar. Uh, there, I mean, we we are we are relatively small countries, uh, both countries. We're very much global travellers, uh, but wherever you go in the world, I think you would say very clearly that Scots, Swedes are very well accepted. If they're in Singapore, China, Brazil, wherever they may be in the world, they integrate very well in there, but still keep their proud national background, but are able to integrate that way. So, to me, it was relatively easy to come here. Mm. Uh, I know that you talk about five key elements of leadership mm. and I've studied them. Mm. Uh, to have a clear vision is one of them. To have a huge amount of time to communicate it. Let's stop there for a mm. moment. Because um, to communicate a vision, you need time and there is never time in a company. At least that's what I hear when I meet leaders. I don't have time to do this. I have people who do this for me. Uh, what, comments? What, what other role do you have? than to lead your company in the right direction there and to make sure that you can bring together your 40-odd thousand employees, 20,000 employees, whatever you have in your company. What other role do you have to, than to help make sure your company is moving in the right direction? Of course, you've got to manage all the other things with boards and with reporting, but getting your organisation aligned in the right way is, is extremely powerful. And I think there is nothing more powerful then the, the 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 top management of the company being visible in an organisation, spending time talking about the, where we're going and why we're doing that, but also uh, making it relevant to the people that you have. Uh, they're making it very relevant that they understand this is why you do things. Uh, this is what it means to me as an individual. That to me is one of your key parts of your job. Another thing it does, it's not just about you communicating to them, it's about you listening to them as well. Because then you get a lot of feedback on, on, on is it the right strategy, is it the right things, have you considered this, have you considered that uh, with it. So to me, it's an integral part of the job. And, and to me, it's not a case of, uh, it's, uh, I have other things to do, this is too much of a chore. That to me is what you must do. The worst you can be as a leader is detached from the business and your people. Once you get that detached and that you get your information through the management only, or through the channels only, once you get that, you're detached. Uh, if you're detached, then you're not able to do your job in a proper way. Mm. And the third key element is create conditions for mm. success. Yep. Uh, surround yourself with the right people is the yep. four key element. Uh, and you said also, you don't have to like them. No. You don't, I don't, you don't, what I mean by that is you don't you don't have to be best friends with them. It's not someone that you're going to go out to the pub with or you're going to go out for dinner with. That. You, But you, people you, do that all the time with their friends in at work. When you're friends, yes. Mm. But I'm saying as a, as, a, as a leader, you don't need... If you've got a management team of 12, there may be four or five that you go on very well with. There's four or five that you don't go on. You go on well with all of them. But what I mean by that is you don't need to be best friends with them. 
Yes, you need to like the individual, but you don't need to be best friends with them, i.e. you don't need to be socially mixing with them outside of that. Some you may do, some you may not do. I think one of the, the, the positive things I've got is since I left SKF, still in, when I was head of automotive division uh, and then CEO, I still have a few key people in each of these teams that I meet on a regular basis socially uh, there. But do I meet everyone? No. With it. I, I think it's important to have people that complement your skills, but they don't need to be, as I say, your best social friends. Isn't that the great, uh, great challenge for many leaders that they actually have people around them that are too much like them? Yes, yes, I think so. I think they, so. They sort of go look at the, to the self in the mirror and say, "Ah, oh, I like that guy. I will hire another one." Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I, or it's not so much that they, they like that guy. They, they, they talk to individuals, and the individuals share their same views on strategy and plans, and definitely. There and, and, and therefore they say, ah, oh, that must be, he must be good. He's, mm. He he thinks the same as me. He he or she must be good. They're the same as me. And I think that's uh, what you have to be aligned in an organisation when you go out and talk to the organisation. That you must be totally aligned. But in preparing what you communicate, you don't need to be. You, you actually should not be totally aligned. You should actually have different views and different discussions. And maybe hire people that have definitely other views. Yeah, yes. As yes. a rule, maybe. It, 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 it's difficult to, 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 to do that, really, but I think you you need to at least respect that people will have other views and not, not look for someone who looks the same as you in the mirror. Mm. And the fifth key element is, of course, to follow up. I mm. say, of course, because to me it's natural, but it's not natural to everyone. It's not natural to everyone there, especially in the days when we talk about delegation, etc., where you, you move things out and there's a lot of move towards decentralized organization, which I, I, I believe is the right way now for us to move forward to more decentralized. Uh, I think that uh, uh, that move out is, um, if you just do it and not follow up, it becomes an abdication. You're not doing your job properly, and then it's easy to say, "Ah, oh, they didn't do their job." Now I, I, uh, I change the people that are there. You should be involved sufficiently enough to be able to guide, coach, and direct them. Not to do it, but guide, coach, and direct them. And that's what I mean by follow up, and also following up the results and helping if things are going a little bit off offline. How do you help them bring them back online? That that you must do, and and and, and you should be doing it during the process, not at the end of the process. Honestly, Tom, how well do we in Sweden work with feedback? I think not well enough. I think uh, we in Sweden many times we avoid conflict within that. And I think one of the roles you've got as a leader is to give feedback to your people, uh, what they're doing well and what they're not doing so well. But important when you're giving the feedback, I, I'd put feedback in two camps. There is destructive feedback. Destructive feedback is for the benefit of the person giving the feedback constructive feedbacks for the benefit of the person receiving the feedback. I think, first of all, you should give feedback, but it should be constructive feedback. You should, it's your responsibility, and it doesn't need, as a leader, it doesn't need to be a formal meeting every year. Actually, some of the best feedback you give is the informal, after a meeting, after a discussion, when you put your arm around about someone and say, hey, this we could have done better, this we should have done this way or that. I think that informal feedback is so very, very important and it's something I think many people in Sweden struggle with. And some people that I've met uh, talk about feed forward after mm. the feedback. Mm. What happens next? How mm. can we uh, move ourselves from this uh, situation to, to uh, another one who's heading to another direction? 
how do you do with that? I think it's, I hadn't heard the phrase feed forward. That's a new one for me, so I take that. But I think it's absolutely correct. I mean, again, when you're giving feedback, part of your role as a leader is to give the constructive feedback but also give them the way how to solve it, how to move ahead, or the way we, where we will work together to do this. This is what we can do together. We can do this, we can do that there. Um, that's your role as a leader. I mean, and, and I think it's missed in a lot, lot of companies. And also I know some companies where senior people say, yeah, we give the feedback, but then we pass it to HR. HR's responsible for, for doing that and doing that. Sorry, that is wrong. The one of the most major roles you've got as a leader is to work with your people, is to give them feedback, is to give them constructive feedback and have a dialogue with them and how we can move forward. And if you do give up that to HR, then you're giving up your responsibility. So how can we explain the importance of social interaction to young people when they seem to think every answer is online? I think, there is. I think that you've hit on a very important point, which is... Uh, that uh, you miss that social interaction. And I think that's an extremely important part of doing business and developing business. I, I spoke to someone recently who was doing an online um, university education. Uh, they had gone to university for one year, then they were doing the online side. And I asked them, so how is it going? He said, ah, oh, it's great. The courses are great. I'm doing that. But, you know, I miss the people. Even as a young guy, he's only 22, 23. I miss meeting with the people all the time there as well. So I think for attracting people into business, I don't think it's too great a chance as long as you're a company that seems to be progressive, that's embracing new technology and the opportunities they bring. People will come into it there. But I do think one of the challenges we've got is this personal interaction and we need to work how to, how we keep that, absolutely. Mm. How does it feel to be a Scot in Gothenburg when we're in the middle of the Brexit thing? Ah, it's a Brexit is a... Is something that, uh, for me personally, I, uh, I I respect the will of the people, but I uh, must say I don't uh, agree that Brexit's best for the UK going forward. And I think actually the Brexit vote was something of much. Uh, it was much more than the vote of Brexit. There, it was it was part of the, the the movement that we're seeing where people are dissatisfied with how things have developed over many 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 years, and and, and Brexit just became a channel. I think one of the channels for their frustration. Of course, there were things to do with immigration and growth, etc. Uh, but it was easy to blame Brexit for that. I think there are other factors that, that, that impacted that as well. And I think the biggest thing is that, is that we are facing a big challenge just now that uh, in many countries around the world, which is to do with the fact that there is a gap coming on uh, on how those who have and those who, who don't have, uh, the gap is increasing too much and that's a big social challenge for us there. So being here with the Brexit doesn't impact me personally so much and, and, I, and I argue a lot for getting the right result from Brexit. But to, to me, what worries me more is what's behind that and what's behind that you're seeing in many countries around the world. And I think that's something we as leaders need to address. Will you ever return to Scotland? Uh, to visit, yes. To live, no. Uh, and the reason is my family are, are, are rooted here now. Uh, there, so uh, there's no... And, and also my family in Scotland have moved around. My my friends have all moved around. I don't have a base in Scotland, so it will still be home. I will still be a country I visit regularly uh, there. But uh, I don't see... You should never say never, but I don't see any plans in the foreseeable future to move back to Scotland. But you still have the dialect. I st and Much more than my wife. My wife has lost it much more, but I still keep it uh, the, for good and bad. When you would like to be inspired 
who would you like to listen to, uh, to talk to, or to uh, discuss? I, I a good question. I, I, I talk to. There's no one individual I, I look to. I actually uh, do a lot of discussion with myself. To be quite honest, there, reflection with myself uh, when I'm looking at that. But also, it's interesting to talk to your 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 children and your family because you know when I when I was. Um, CEO of SKF, you know, you maybe had reported that day and you did lots of things, you were out talking to the media, you came home. My children had zero interest in SKF share price, zero interest what's happening. So it gave you a, a different perspective on life. And so when you were looking at that, I think, and what I mean by talking to yourself, when you look at that and you step back a little bit, you understand what's important, what's not important and what you should focus on. Thank you, Tom, and good luck. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye.